prior to me putting down the bottle, they were very seldomly that I ever go on stage stone cold sober. I had I'd at least have uh, a couple in me, if not more. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast with guest celebrities, experts, and everyday people who've overcome a variety of obstacles, including addiction, trauma, and mental health issues. And they've used these adversities as their greatest advantages to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. Travis Miguel, what's going on? Good, sir. Hello. Good morning, gentlemen. Go Good ahead. morning. <laughs> Talking over you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, brother. We appreciate it, man. Awesome. Uh, yeah, thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, Travis from uh, Atreyu, band I've been a fan of a long time, been able to see live several times. But uh, we're going to jump into some of your mental health and addiction struggles. But uh, where are you at now with it? Like, uh, we've had some long term sobriety, right? Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, my main vice was the booze. Um, you know, it was, you know, better part of 20 years, you know, it was a huge part of my life. Um, but it's been, uh, over seven years since mm. I've, uh, last had a drink. So good for you. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, when you started to seek your sobriety, were you, was it rehab? Did you do, was it groups or what do you, uh, was your path a little bit different that you just found something else that worked for you? Uh, I think my, my path was a little, I don't want to say different, but, um, when I get, I think when you say, uh, you know, uh, you know, I got sober or so-and-so got sober. I think most people kind of just assume that they, went into some huge intense program or they had like this, um, you know, all these crazy therapy sessions and whatnot. But for me, it just, it finally just clicked. Like Mm. I, I can't keep doing this anymore. I'm dying. And, um, it, it had been, I mean, it had been a long time coming. Um, you know, uh, I remember actually the, the first night I, went like out, uh, not being inebriated. Like I met some friends at a, at a bar, which probably wasn't the smartest thing to do being, you know, newly off the booze, but, uh, you know, my friends, you know, they, I, I was kind of late to show up and they had a drink, you know, waiting, waiting for me. And I told them, you know, I, I think I'm done. And, you know, they were super supportive about it. They were like, it wasn't like, you know, oh, come on, you can just have one drink, you know, it'll be fine. It was like, it was almost like they were all kind of like, oh, thank God. You know, like, (laughs) dude, like, it's like I said, it's been a long time coming. So yeah, it just kind of clicked. I don't, I don't even know if if I really hit a bottom or if there was like any kind of specific events. It just finally, you know, uh, like I said, it just, it clicked in my brain. Like, all right, the, the bar is closed. Mm. You know. So you say a long time coming, like, have you, you've been wanting to stop for a while and it just never happened or you were just kind of sick and tired of being sick and tired type deal. All of the above. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, I had, I definitely had been wanting to stop mm-hmm. for at least a number of years, but um, I just, I just didn't have the balls to do it. Right. Um, and, you know, I remember there'd be, many times where I'd be, you know, pouring myself a drink and 
in my head, I'd be like, I don't want, I, I hate the fact that my brain is telling me that I need to do this Mm -hmm. and every fiber of my being like, doesn't want it. And so like, that was when I stopped, like even that in, in and of itself was like a huge weight off my shoulders. Like I don't have to keep fighting with myself or, you know, making all these stupid promises like, okay, tonight, tonight for sure. Tonight's the last night I'm going to drink. And then, you know, obviously the next day, okay, tomorrow night, that's, you know, that, that's my, that, that, that's when I'll stop, you know, just playing stupid games with myself. You know, it's exhausting. I've always said too, like, it's, it's not a competition, like who drank more in their past or who did more drugs or anything like that. But I've always said celebrities and especially musicians, because that literally like, it almost kind of seems like that's in your job description when you're in a band, you know what I'm saying? Is like, for sure, you got a sure. fucking party. So right. for Jason to get sober or for like this guy from, you know, Los Angeles, who's in accounting to get sober, I'm not saying it's less difficult, but it might be less difficult for them because as for you, you have fans wanting to buy you a shot, wanting to buy you a beer Mm -hmm. for Jason and the random dude in accounting. They don't have fans and groupies that are just, you know, shoving it down their throats. Hey, what are you saying? I I had a good radio career. I had lots of groupies. You had a you had groupie. (laughs) Not plural. You had groupie. (laughs) So it was just kind of like. You know, I'm how do I say this no, without you're, stepping you're, on toes? No, you're nailing. It. I don't want somebody to hear it and be like, what the fuck? He doesn't know my life. I had it was difficult. It's like I'm not saying it's not difficult. It is difficult, but it's even more difficult for somebody where it's literally in their job description yeah. to where like Motley Crue. They said if they ever saw us having a glass of milk, our jobs would be fucked. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you can't be healthy. So hats off and kudos to you, my friend. Thank you very much. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think um, like part of my fear uh, in regards to not drinking anymore. um, I mean, that was like a huge part of it because like, I'm not going to lie. Some of the best times I've ever had in my life that I remember anyway, was when I was hammered. Sure. You know, just, you know, out with, out with your boys and just, you know, tying one on, like it's fun. Good old days. Right. Yeah. That's why Mm -hmm. people do it. And I think, the fact that if I stopped drinking, like the fun was going to end. Right. That, that was kind of like in the back of my mind, it was like, ah, fuck, the party's over. Which yeah. is a common misconception. Like yeah. life doesn't True. end when you're sober. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? It's like, right. and uh, not to, or uh, like Brandon Novak, we had spoken with him and he said, he'll go into these meetings and there will be people saying, my worst day sober is still better than my best day high. And he's like, well, that's fucking stupid. He goes, I've had some of the greatest times of my life when I was high. And then Bam would say the same thing, like alcohol and drugs aren't going to get you anywhere. Be like, we'll tell that to the Lamborghini in my garage and the threesome I had last night. (laughs) So it's like, you know, Yeah. yeah, it's very, very true in our world for sure. Well, yeah. And I know I experienced it, you know, having been in radio and my thing was here I am. I get to hang out with these guys that I looked up to because I'm just a, I'm a terrible musician, Travis. So I just get to enjoy you guys <laughs> on, on stage. Um, but then it was like, yeah, you know, like uh, my recollection of when you and I met, you guys were the nicest guys. And, you know, and I made buddies with other bands throughout. So then you know, you're like, cool, I'm welcomed in this world. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I, I think sometimes we play the part. Did you have that fear that like 
as well. You weren't playing the part then for people and getting sober that you weren't that fun guy that you weren't, you know, or whatever thing they could label you with. To an extent. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, when I stopped drinking, I had to relearn how to practically, you know, what feels like everything, Mm. you know, um, like how to, how to socialize with people, how to associate with people, um, you know, how to carry myself, like, you know, even just in social situations, like especially those first few months, um, like I didn't know what to do with my hands if I was talking to somebody and I get all like self-conscious and just, just was not comfortable because I was so used to having that social lubricant mm-hmm. where I could just, you know, kind of relax. Cause I mean, I've always been somewhat of an introvert and um, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of the type of guy that, doesn't really speak unless spoken to. Um, so like, you know, the, the booze would help with that. I could just kind of loosen up and, you know, let my guard down a little bit. And um, so, yeah, I had to re- relearn how to operate without that, that armor, so to speak. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams, and working hard. Always striving to make those dreams a reality. We believe life's too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road ahead that you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. Listeners of Knocking Doors Down, head over to 5150ltm.com. That website again, 51FIFTYLTM.com. Well, let's kind of uh, jump back. I mean, growing up in the in the OC area, but what kind of was uh, what was Travis like growing up? You know, I can really relate to that introvert and not speaking unless spoken to. Yeah, I mean, I you know, like I said, I grew up uh, Orange County. I'm still in Orange County. Um, you know, I come from a extremely loving and supportive family. Um, you know, high school, like I wasn't. I definitely high school was a very awkward period for me um, as with, you know, I would say 99% of teenagers. It's not like, you know, it's not, I don't, I don't think any teenager is going to be like, yeah, I had it all my shit together and I knew everything <laughs> that was going, you know? Um, yeah. I was, I always felt, uh, you know, very awkward, not very comfortable in my own skin, but it wasn't until years later that I realized that, um, mm-hmm. It was just kind of like, you know, I, I wasn't like an outcast or anything. I wasn't a, uh, you know, I wasn't one of the, the weird kids in the corner, but I sure shit wasn't prom king either or, you know, captain of the football team or anything like that. <clears throat> you know, I had my core group of friends and, um, you know, I just, I, I remember, um, I think it was eighth grade going into ninth grade. They told us, you know, like, the next four years are going to be the best years of your life, you know, so do as much as you can. And, you know, and I remember by the time I was like a sophomore or junior, I was like, these are the best four years of my life. Like this sucks. (laughs) My life is shit. If that's the case. (laughs) Right. Like this is as good as it's going to get. And I kind of wish I knew that going into high school that, you know, at the end of the day, high school, I mean, I don't want to put it out there, you know, don't try, you know, if there's any, uh, if the youth is listening, (laughs) but like, you know, high school doesn't really mean shit 
for the most part. I mean, obviously you're going to want to do well, but like they kind of, uh, kind of drilled it into us. Like, Oh my God, high, you know, high school is, it's this huge thing that's going to be super detrimental to the rest of your life. And it really doesn't, it's yeah. not, it's not a, a big of a deal as, as they told us, or at least in my, how that's how it panned out for me, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I was, you know, like a C average student, B average student, you know, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, there was no, and it, as far as like addiction goes, there was no, um, there was no like traumatic events or anything mm -hmm. that happened. It just kind of crept its way into my life and, you know, kind of touching on what we were, what we were talking about before, um, you know, the touring world, you know, like you said, every night I'm surrounded by booze, you know, mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, you know, I'll, I can see the bar from the stage, you know, yeah. and it's, it's all right there. And I could just, you know, it's, it's very, it's a very, it's a strong possibility or a, uh, uh, something that could happen. Like I could, you know, make a beeline for that bar and just start putting it back. But, you know, that was, again, another thing I had to learn was how to tour yeah. without diving into a bottle every night, uh, how to be, how to perform on stage. You know, I would, prior to me putting down the bottle, it, very seldomly did I ever go on stage stone cold sober. I had, I at least have a, a couple in me, if not more, uh, just to kind of, you know, loosen up the nerves and get a little bit of that liquid courage. So, and I remember with the, my first show back, not being on the booze, it was in Europe at a festival and I was in front of, I don't know, at least 5,000, 6,000 people. And um, yeah, I mean, I made it, I got through it and I'm like, okay, that, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I think I, I might, I might be able to do this. Okay, cool. You know, and uh, that, that power of fear that we tell ourselves in our, our head so strongly. Yeah. 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 Your brain will convince you of some of the dumbest, weirdest, like most inaccurate shit. And my brain still does that to me the, to this day, you know, and that's kind of like where the, the whole topic of like anxiety and depression can uh, come into play. It's uh, yeah. The, our brains, sometimes they can, sometimes they're looking out for us and sometimes they are just straight up fucking with us. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, we do. Let me ask you this, Travis, before, um, cause your brain was, you know, fucking with you before you played your sober show before you did that. Was there any thought of, I might have to quit this band. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do it for the sake of my sobriety. I might have to quit. Cause I don't know if I can perform sober. Um, not so much. I would, yeah. I didn't, um, I was going to give it a, the good, you know, give it the college try sure. first before mm -hmm. I was going to decide whether I was going to bow out or not, you know, right. because, you know, this, I mean, like this is as ridiculous as it is. And, you know, I sometimes kind of have to pinch myself. Like I get to, I get to do this for a living and I've been doing it for, you know, over two decades now. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely wasn't just going to look, just easily let it go. You know, I was going to at least give it my all to do it sober. And I'm, I'm glad I did because I'm, I'm here today and we're, I still get to do it, you know? Hell yeah. So what was the, the introduction then really into any sort of substance? Was it when you kind of 
started getting into uh, music, playing live shows, gigs, things that was just kind of part of it? Or was there a different kind of segue for you? It kind of just happened. I would, I would assume like with most people, you know, I think I got, I got drunk maybe two or three times in high school and I had my first hangover and, you know, of course, you know, puking all night into the toilet, swearing up and down. I'm, oh, I'm never drinking again. I don't get how anybody can do this. Uh, and obviously it, it didn't pan out <laughs> like that, but you know, and then you get into college and then, you know, you start, then you can finally get into bars and then, you know, you're kind of notice you might be drinking a little bit more than you were a few years ago. Um, and then it all slowly, but surely over the years, it just, it just became becoming more and more a part of my life because, you know, like we were talking about before, it's, it's part of this culture that we're in, you know, alcohol, you know, we, we get it for free every night. You know, we, Mm -hmm. we do these festivals that are sponsored by all these alcohol companies. And, you know, it's, 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 I mean, for me, it's like literally everywhere. Um, And I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody for that, you know, um, but, you know, it's alcohol is extremely uh, easily accessible when you're in a band on the road. So when did uh, music come into play for you? When I, I was relatively young, um, I, I come from a very uh, like a, a music loving family. Um, you know, my parents, you know, for them, it was a lot of the stuff of their day. You know, like, you know, my dad was, in, you know, like the doors, cream, Clapton, stuff like that. Love it. Uh, and uh, which is kind of funny because he was born and raised on Kauai. Uh, and so it's kind of hard, you know, things arrive in Hawaii much later than they do, <laughs> you know, in the States. So uh, I'm always kind of curious as to how he actually got those records in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Um <laughs> And my mom, you know, she was, you know, she was part of the whole Beatlemania thing. She, um, she brags that she actually saw Elvis when she was, when she was young. Um, and my sister, I have an older half sister and she was a teenager in the eighties and our bedrooms were pretty much like right next to each other. So I'd, I'd be hearing, you know, like Depeche Mode, Culture Club, Duran Duran, Yaz and like Ecstasy and maybe even like the Smiths and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I have like a... Uh, a soft spot for that kind of stuff too. But um, I remember uh, just watching, I think I might've been like 10 or 11, 12 around that age. I saw the video for Metallica's one. Uh. And um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything about what metal was. I just thought, uh, you know, because, you know, at the time, what was considered metal was, I mean, anything I knew about music, I pretty much discovered from MTV. So in terms of metal, it was like all the, the W bands, like the white snakes, the warrants, the wingers, their videos, you know, super colorful, all the, you know, like playing up to the camera and they, uh, for whatever reason, they always had these big swooping shots of the band on this gigantic stage playing to no one. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, makes but then me I, think of poison exactly with their yeah. hair blowing in the fan yeah. kisses it, at the camera exactly <laughs> um and then i saw that video for metallica and it's the little it's the polar opposite of all that it's black and white it's not exactly you know the happiest song on earth and intertwined is this 
movie about World War One called Johnny Got His Gun. And, you know, it was the first time I had heard like double kick. I mean, there's a blatant shot of Lars's legs, you know, during that double kick part. First time I had ever heard like palm muting on a guitar and hearing that that Hetfield snarl. You know, I was like, wow, what is this? Like, yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but I like it. And that's kind of the the spark that ignited the flame, so to speak. That's badass. Uh, you know, and, uh, as a guy that, you know, I can rate my brother. He was very much the, the, the hair metal, but he uh, kind of the only one I gravitate to really was Motley Crue because there's something more dangerous there. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, when Metallica and then Megadeth was there and then Motorhead, you know, so between James Hetfield's yeah, yeah and Jimmy's <laughs> voice, it was like, oh, there's some different shit going on here. I'm, I'm into this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I discovered Metallica and then through through that, you know, obviously you discover of bands who are kind of in the same cut from the same cloth. So like you said, like the big four, you know, Slayer, Anthrax, uh, Megadeth, and then it just kind of got heavier from there. I got really into I still am really into like Sepultura and, um, you know, and then from there I discovered punk and then hardcore and then. But also too, like I'm, I, you know, my, I, I guess I'll call it like my sponge um, era was in the nineties where I was just like soaking up everything, you know, uh, in the nineties, it, it was, a, I mean, if you think about it, it was a very eclectic decade, you know, yeah. like even just like that kind of like Lollapalooza attitude of, you know, everybody's invited, like, it's cool to like this style of music but it's also cool to like this style of music so uh, yeah I mean I listened even at a young age you know I I, I gave everything a chance music wise you know when did you first uh, start picking up an instrument was it guitar first and only or was there anything else I picked up guitar yeah about the same age or maybe a little bit after um, uh, same uh, that after I had saw I had, it's or I had seen that Metallica video um, I had my sister, my sister was dating a guy who played in like punk bands and stuff. And every once in a while, she, she dragged me along to their rehearsals. And I just remember, uh, being amazed at, as to how loud it is. And, um, it, it kind of like, it almost like scared me because it was so loud. But of course, when you're that age, the things that scare you also fascinate you, Yeah, you know, um, so yeah, I uh, eventually picked up, uh, or I started getting uh, guitar lessons, you know, typical, you know, here's an E chord, this is how you play an A chord, and this is a, a this is a, a guitar pick, and you hold it like this, and um, I really just took to it, and um, I remember, okay, I, I like the guitar, um, maybe I want to try something else, so I remember, I think it was sixth grade, I played trumpet you know a few weeks go by i'm like this sucks i'm gonna stick with guitar <laughs> and uh yeah I've, I've been playing ever since you know that speaking of my parents they put me on piano when i was younger and i thought that was such a lame instrument and that is my biggest regret in the world is not learning piano 
There is no quicker way to get a woman's top off than to go in <laughs> and just go on the piano. You know what I'm saying? But when you're a kid, it's like I was obsessed with Guns N' Roses. I still am. So if I'm not looking like Slash or Duff McKiggin, then it's just I don't want to do this. Fucking lame, bro. I don't fucking care. But piano, right, it's yeah. like, damn it. My nephew, he was playing piano. I'm like, bro, trust me. Learn piano, master piano. Just trust me. Like if it's anything you take from your uncle, master that shit you yeah it, i don't tell him this word for you will be swimming in women if that were the case <laughs> but what are you gonna do you know right Ugh. no yeah i'm i'm kind of the same way i wish i would you know now that i'm obviously much older i i kind of wish that i would have take you know at least given a crack at any instrument that came my way whether yeah. you know whether it was trumpet or you know i remember i, I initially i really wanted to play drums yeah. Um, just because there's something, there's something very appealing about just bashing away at something fucking loud and all over the place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but drums are expensive. Uh, again, you know, they're obviously extremely loud and we just didn't have the room in the house that I grew up with. And, you know, guitars are much cheaper. You can carry them with you everywhere you go. And yeah, it was just kind of just out of uh, convenience but um but yeah looking back on it i kind of wish i had um tried different instruments whether it was b piano or you know um anything really you know uh, because yeah when you're that young i you do just soak everything up so so much quicker and uh easier and whereas now if i were to try to play anything on a piano it would just it, just, it would seem so foreign to me because I'm past that age of like, I mean, I think there, there really is truth to uh, the saying, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can, it just takes sure, them a sure. little, it takes them a little, a little longer. Yeah. Well, if you see my ass, you know, 33 years old practicing Mary had a little lamb. It's pathetic. As opposed to, but if you see a guy my age at, you know, we're at a gathering or something, there's a piano and you just start busting out tiny dancer. You know what I'm saying? Like it would just be incredible. And they'd be like, oh my gosh, who is that? And not to mention a lot of badass people play. Like I fucking love Freddie Mercury and him on the piano. Oh my yeah. gosh. It's just incredible. Axl Rose. He plays yeah. the piano. It is not a lame instrument. And and no. I wish I would have thought that when I was a kid, <laughs> damn it. But like people right. like Metallica and Guns N' Roses, fuck that up for me. Because I didn't see any pianos till later. Pianos right. came later with like estranged and stuff like that with Guns N' Roses. So it wasn't exactly. later. Yeah, but. there's a, there's always room for some some piano somewhere. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> so we're rolling with uh, with guitar. I mean, you're in Orange County where, I mean, so many, so much great music came out of there. Especially, you know, when I think of it, I think of, uh, punk and ska and, and stuff in that uh, genre, which I'm sure was going on around you at that time. But when is it that you decide, hey, I'm going to get into a band? In high school, I I really wanted to be in a band. Um, I didn't necessarily. I mean, I wasn't you know aiming for superstardom or anything like that. I just wanted to like plug in and play and be loud. And um, I remember if I could just play one one show uh you know at the showcase theater out in corona or wherever i, I can die happy so mm. like high school i'd you know hook up with a few people here and there you know nothing would obviously like like most high school bands they don't really ever amount to anything and um you know uh 
just playing around. And then I, I, uh, I ended up working at hot topic. Um, hey, I worked there too. <laughs> hey, hey, alumni. Yes, sir. <laughs> and, uh, I had met our Atreus former singer, Alex, yeah. And uh, we hit it off really well. And he knew that I played guitar. And uh, he said, and I, I actually already, I had already heard of Atreyu uh, just because of, I was aware of like, you know, the, the Orange County hardcore scene. And so, yeah, he's like, you know, we're looking for a guitar player. We practice on Sundays. If you want to, he gave me a, a CD of their, of uh, Atreyu's very, very, very first EP. And uh, he said, we learned this song, this song, this song, and this one. Just come by on Sunday and we'll jam. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, Sunday rolls around. Uh, we jam. Like these, are, I, I'm coming in like as a complete stranger. I don't know any of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we jam, and you know, we hit it off really well. Um, and they were like, okay, well, I guess we'll see you next Sunday. And I'm like, I, I guess I'm in the band. <laughs> like, okay, cool. Um, and you know, see you later, thing- hot topic. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that didn't come till much later. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and then we just started playing more and more shows uh, in and around Orange County. Uh, I remember our first uh, our sh- first show in Las Vegas. You know, we, it was like mind blowing to us to be that far away from home, which is not really all that far. It's like four hours away from Orange County, obviously. <laughs> uh, but to us, I mean, that was a huge deal. Like, oh my god, we're like we're not even in California and we're playing the show. This is awesome. Uh, so yeah, and then. Uh, uh, Victory Records came knocking, signed a deal with them. At the time, I was kind of uh, apprehensive about uh, actually, you know, carrying on with the band because, you know, I was about to finish college. I went to Cal State Fullerton for communications and I had about a semester left. And it was it, basically it came down to I either have to go this route or I have to go this route. And mm-hmm, yeah clock's ticking and i gotta decide like pretty soon i was i was extremely torn i didn't know what to do like should i do the sensible thing and you know finish school attempt to do the nine to five thing or whatever you know however that pans out or should i uh go after this thing that is so ridiculously like unlikely to happen because even at, at at a younger age i knew like quote unquote, making it in music, whatever that means, you know, chances are pretty slim. Not mm-hmm. the, not that I didn't have any faith in the band, but it was just like, you know, cool shit like that doesn't happen to me. Right. So why would I, why would I assume that this is any different? Um, but, you know, and I talked to my parents and I was pretty convinced that they were going to try to steer me to go down the more sensible path, but they, kind of like threw me for a loop and they were like, go out on tour, go record this album. If it doesn't pan out, who cares? Like, at least you tried and you probably and you can always go back to school. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and at least you can have some fun doing something. It's like that whole, like, well, high school is the best four years of your life. Like, yeah, I think even my parents were like, no, like these are going to be the best years of your life. Oh, yeah. So go do that. Um, and I remember taking my last final, which I'm about, I'm pretty sure I failed miserably and, uh, <laughs> and went straight from the classroom to, uh, our tour van and hopped in and haven't looked back. 
Right on. Now, when you got into Atreyu, had they already changed the name? Wasn't the original name like Retribution or? Yeah, it was it was Retribution. Okay. Um, but Retribution was more of kind of like a like a street punk type okay. of vibe, and then um, they kind of started to lean more toward the like metallic hardcore metalcore, if you will. Yeah. Um, and that's when uh, Retribution kind of morphed into Atreyu. And then uh, I, jo- I think that was like 99. And then I joined around 2001. Mm. Um, so the band, yeah, when I, when I joined, the band was very much still in its uh, infancy. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that uh, we're still here, old men, <laughs> you know, the fact that Atreyu still exists is, you know, like I said, I have to, I have to kind of remind myself, fuck, like I've been doing this for over 20 years now. And most of the bands that we came up with in our little scene have been gone for yeah. well over a decade, if not longer. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we were just going to take this and write it, write it till the wheels fall off, I guess. And well, now, sorry to cut you off real quick, but now it's probably pretty dope that you see your shirts in Hot Topic now. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> it's fucking dope. It's the full circle, full circle moment. I yeah. remember working in Hot Topic and I was just, I hated it because I it, retail, nothing against Hot Topic. I just hated retail. Yeah. We, we were putting the shirts in the little plastic things. I forget what they're called. And we we're, you know, hanging them up on the walls. And I remember looking at the shirts and I'm like, these motherfuckers are just living their life, doing their thing. <laughs> and I'm over here selling their damn shirts for a living. Like, fuck. You know, good for you, because I was thinking about what I would tell a young Travis if he were to come up to me and say, dude, I have one more semester left. Do I do this? I'm like, dude, you have the rest of your life to work a nine to five and be fucking miserable. You know what I'm saying? Like, or you could take this opportunity that not a lot of people get. Go make an album. Go get a signing from a label and just see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, then you come back. Right. You know, so I'm glad you did what you did, and as I'm sure as you are too, because now here we are. Yeah, there's there's definitely times where I kind of have that what if, sure. Uh, you know, what if I had not carried on, carried on with the band, or wh- where would I be now? Would I be, you know, would I have a life similar to what I have now? Or would it be drastically different? Would I be somewhere else? You know. Um, I, sometimes I kind of, I lie at bed at night thinking about stuff like that because the hamster in the wheel in my brain just keeps going and going and going. I'm like, oh my Our God. Our anxiety okay. gets us thinking weird yeah, all the time. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In March of 2020, Carlos Vieira, owner and founder of KDD Media Company, wrote a memoir about his own personal struggles entitled Knocking Doors Down. In his book, he relives his experiences as a drug addict and the ultimate path that helped to save his life. 100% of all sales of this book are donated to the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug Free campaign. Go to kddmediacompany.com to pick up a copy for you or a loved one in need of inspiration and motivation. Also available on Amazon in hardcover, paperback and ebook yeah no it's interesting i'm bringing up victory records what a great label to sign with because i remember we would get the merch catalogs like at the station where it's like okay we've got promotional stuff going on all right a tray you sweatshirts <laughs> right way. yeah um, i mean Vic, like I, when we were initially sending out uh we did a, a ep called fractures in the facade of her porcelain beauty and we we sent that ep out to 
pretty much everybody but victory because victory was so like just not on our radar radar because that's like you know that's like the mecca of band for bands like us yeah um and somehow through whatever avenues uh somebody at victory got it and then hit us up and said you know would you like to sign and you know for us that was like winning the lottery you know um I mean, granted, we were all extremely young and naive back then um, because we, uh, you know, fast forward a few years later, we had our problems with Victory as to have many bands. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, the music industry is never smooth sailing for the most, you know, there's always hiccups and bumps that you're going to hit in the road. But um, but all in all, I mean, we've pretty much come out un- unscathed. You know, we're all we're all still alive. But, you know, that's a plus, obviously. Um, a few member changes here and there, but um, yeah, the, the train keeps rolling. Awesome. What, what was your thoughts and, and just kind of the, the feeling in the band really when first big single, I had the right side of the bed hits. And I mean, that thing was huge. It, uh, I believe number one alternative. And, you know, what was that vibe for you guys then? It's like, oh shit, this thing could happen. This can get big. Uh, it was exactly that. It was, you know, wow. Like people like us. um yeah i mean it was a very for us it was a very uh slow and uh organic momentum Mm -hmm. that we had um because we kind of we kind of broke just right before the advent of the internet um the obvious the internet was obviously around but um you know as far as like uh you know, digital streaming, like obviously was not a thing, you know, people still bought physical copies of records. So it was, you know, we weren't like, we didn't get, we didn't get big off of, you know, TikTok or, (laughs) uh, you know, or even MySpace, like we even predate MySpace, you know, that's, that's how old we are. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it was a very slow and steady and organic rise for us, but yeah, it just kind of, it was just one thing led to another and we uh you know we capitalized on every opportunity that we could and um you know it, it was i mean it was a lot of hard work too you know i mean spending months and months on the road you know like that'll take its toll on anyone like yeah. whether you've been doing this for like a year or two or you've been doing this for 20 30 40 years you know um, being out on tour, it definitely puts a strain on you mentally, emotionally, and physically, you know, there's no escaping it. You know, there's no, like, there's no real cutting corners or there's no avoiding that. Um, we just kind of put our head down, grind it away. And, um, the, the benefits kind of speak for themselves really. When, When did the anxiety and depression that you really started to recognize that hit you was this stuff that started manifesting teenage years or was it really the stress of the road because i think you hit a really good point that people don't realize you know they think it's all good and exciting well some days it's you're going to sleep in a bus and it's in a different town and you become very disconnected from your loved ones and then like you know you're sharing with us vulnerably that okay i want to connect with people but i'm an introvert i don't know how but a drink in my hand or 20 and then i'll you know and so you're kind of just you're disorientated the whole time 
as far as like the anxiety and the depression, it's, it runs in my family on my mm-hmm. mom's side. Um, my mom always kind of likes to joke, like, you know, you did, when it comes to mental health, you did not win the genetic, genetic lottery. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, I mean, some, I, 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 I've always been sensitive, even when I was a little kid. Um, I would, uh, my mom and dad would make fun of me because I'd worry about everything. And it was, and I still do that to this day. Like I worry irrationally about stuff that I have zero control over and I can't, I don't know how to not worry about it or it lives, it it always kind of lives rent free in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I'm, I've I've come to accept the fact that, you know, I'm probably going to be dealing with this for the rest of my life you know, um, and that's fine. You know, it's life has its struggles. There's no, there's no getting around that. You know, nobody, nobody's on top all the time. There's ebb and flow, there's peaks and valleys, you know? Um, so I kind of lived with it my whole life. Sometimes it subsides for, you know, months to years. And there's been weeks where I just cannot escape it. I can't get out of this funk, you know? Luckily, you know, in this day and age, the whole, the, the subject of mental health isn't as, um, I don't want to say stigmatized, but it's, it's definitely, people have more, um, I guess, license to talk about it, or they, it's, it's a, the world is a a safer space in, in terms of that, as far as like, being able to talk about it. Whereas, you know, people who suffer from mental illness or depression or anxiety, I would assume that I think most people, they don't want to talk about it because they don't, you know, if it's, if it's a subject of conversation, now there's all this light being shed on it. And now we have to like analyze it all. And I'm, you know, uh, I'm vulnerable. I'm Mm -hmm. uh, exposed and, you know, most people, especially people like me, I, we don't really like that feeling, like letting people know that we're suffering because then it's like, then you start wondering, well, what, why, what do they think of me now, now that they know this about me? And am I this, like, do they see me as this tortured soul? Do they think I'm full of shit? Do they think I'm just trying to get attention? You know, are they going to, are they going to try to save me? Are they going to keep their distance from me? Cause they think I'm fucking weird. Um, but I think that's kind of that way of thinking, I think it's kind of a thing of a past thing of the past, fortunately, you know, um, and social media too, you know, there's all these, uh, I mean, like, like I look at, you know, teenagers nowadays, like I have no clue what it would be like to be a teenager in this day and age, you know, all the pressures that they have to go through, like, you know, I mean, because I mean, let's, I mean, teenagers will be teenagers, like, you know, trivial, mundane shit that we see as adults. It's not, it isn't like that for them. Like, how many likes you get on this photo is Mm -hmm. that's a huge deal to a teenager, you know, or how many followers you have, you know, it's like to them, it's like a hard, solid number as to how popular you are. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to have to, um, 
deal with that as a teenager in this day and age. Like, I mean, I can barely deal with it now and I'm in my forties, you know, I get that. But but yeah. In their defense, what I would say on that is as far as a teenager nowadays dealing, because when I had anxiety, I didn't know what it was. I thought something was wrong with me. I thought I was sick. I need to go to the hospital. And when I had a full blown anxiety attack, I drove myself to the hospital. And when I was sitting in the waiting room, they pulled me in and sat because they knew what was wrong with me right away. They did my blood pressure. They they knew what was wrong right away. So I'm sitting there waiting for the doctor and 30 minutes go by and I'm still not dead yet. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm not having a heart attack. So that's good news. And it was just an anxiety attack. So going back to the teenager thing, I feel like social media aside, which is huge in itself. And I totally get what you're saying, but social media aside, it's like, if you have anxiety or you're depressed, it's okay. Now it's cool to talk about it. It's good. But when I had it back then, I told nobody not because I was ashamed of it, just because I didn't think anyone can relate to it. It's right. like, hey, do you ever have a tough time breathing? You ever feel like a fucking elephant's on your chest? No. Oh, yeah, no, me either. You know what I mean? Right. But of course I do. Yeah. But so like you have people like Dak Prescott, uh, Ben Simmons of the NBA, like they're all very big in mental health and they're very cool to like. I mean, not me. I fucking hate the Cowboys, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> so right. it's yeah, just yeah. like, so that is a plus that teenagers have nowadays. But I get what you're saying. Like, the women have to be as pretty as this girl on TikTok or as pretty as this Instagram influencer. So I, I totally get that. And there is a tremendous amount of pressure. And so, yeah, I, I see your point with that too. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. mental health is so much more open now. It's okay to talk about it rather than just like, I think I'm dying. Like something's wrong. And if something isn't wrong, I don't want to put any thoughts in your head or triggers, but this is the kind of shit that I think about. You ready? Right, exactly. I don't know if I'm having a heart attack. This is just an anxiety attack. But what if one day I am having a heart attack and I think it's just an anxiety attack? Like, fuck, I don't know. Right. And then that even that in and of itself, the going back and forth. Sure. Will cause more anxiety. Exactly. So you could you can hear my anxiety. I'm literally walking you through my life. This is the (laughs) shit that goes through my head when I'm just laying down trying to sleep. Yeah, I just have snowballs. One day it really is a fucking heart attack. (laughs) And I just lay in bed and don't wake up. Right. Well, and I think to touch on the social media is that, um, you know, and lots of us that struggle with the anxiety, depression, whatever it may be, is seeking an outside solution to cure inside feelings and, and not having the emotional maturity or mentorship or guidance around us to let us know that like, Hey, fulfillment's an inside thing. It's not an external thing. And one like 10 million likes, it's not really going to change it. If you're always gauging, cause then, you know, oh, this post got 50, that got 5,000. What the heck? You know? Right. And, yeah. So it's uh I just chalk it up to algorithms. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's all, it's all numbers. That's what I chalk it up to. <laughs> all ones and zeros. Yeah. <laughs> How is it you now like with the uh you know of course of being a, a married man and you know family man like the the misses like in types of situations like that sometimes you know I know for me being in a relationship that that's a a place I can lean how important is that for you? Um it's you know, I mean, my, when I had, when I first stopped drinking, you know, my wife was 100% supportive and behind me, um, you know, uh, and then, you know, eventually a few years later, or actually I should say a few years, but actually just a, a number of months ago, she, 
she's decided to stop too because uh you know it just wasn't really doing doing anything like you know we rarely ever go out you know so it's like well why am i just gonna sit around in here and drink this chardonnay it's like it's stupid and pointless so you know we're kind of going or i should say like you know she being that she had just quit like she had to go through the same kind of like readjustment period too so it was kind of like you know i was kind of throwing out little nuggets of knowledge that i picked up along the way as far as you know what i do to kind of like um yeah because she's she's very much a lot like me uh kind of introverted um almost you know she makes fun of herself because she has like a bitchy resting face <laughs> but she's not like she's not like hi how are you you know she she feels just as uncomfortable as i do in social situations so it's kind of like we we got we have each other's backs in that aspect um but also too but like you know our our families and our friends too you know have been 100 100% supportive as well which is which is huge you know yeah um because you know some people or I should, I should, I would assume most people would, you know, when they're trying to go through that transition, you can't just do it. I, I mean, you have the only one, the only person that's going to do it is you, but you do need that support, yep. you know, whether it's somebody, you know, cheering you on or, you know, um, you know, if you're feeling like you're gonna, you might slip up or whatever, it's good to have somebody to kind of talk you, talk you down from the ledge. Yeah. yeah. So you never did a 12 step approach or anything like that? No. Um, I went to AA meetings um, off and on for about a year or so. Um, and I totally understand how um, somebody who's in addiction, like they need that mm-hmm. in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, s- some people will go to, two, three meetings, if not more a week, like clockwork, because, um, you know, that's what, that's what helps them. And that's awesome. Uh, for me, I just didn't really, um, it's not like, it's not like none of it was clicking with me. It just felt like, uh, it just felt kind of unnecessary for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to going, you know, if somebody were to, invite me to a meeting, you know, Hey, we, there's an AA meeting I'm going to, if you want to cruise, cruise with me, you're more than welcome to, I'd be like, yeah, I got nothing to do. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you know, it's not a, uh, it doesn't, it's not extremely detrimental for gotcha. me. I think, um, you know, when it finally did click in my brain that I have to stop, I think that's when I kind of realized like, if I don't stop, I've got a lot, a lot to lose. And I don't want to. And yeah. the fear of losing what I have, I think, is enough to keep me on the straight and narrow. Yeah. Well, and I think you you said it there. You have a support system and everything else in place. And that's a lot of what I, I'm a meeting guy. I'm you know, maybe one a week, um, you know, on average one a week, maybe a little less. But yeah, it's that support system. So I think, you you know, it's the things that you have in place that that keep you going, you know, that keep you away from what you know is is you know, not just physical, but uh, mental and spiritual death. So, right. Exactly. All we got to bring. Well, I know we're running short, so we got to talk what's going on with the Trey U now. We got a new single out. Uh, we hit in the road, the album. What's, what's happening with the band now? Uh, it's pretty crazy right now. Um, 
we this past week we've been uh, up in uh, Calabasas. Uh, for those that don't know, that's like an area just north of uh, LA. Just uh, we've a been, horrible town. Horrible town. Seven yeah, degrees all year round. It's yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's dirty. It's, there's, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, we've been <laughs> we've been up at uh, John Feldman's studio. Uh, who's John Feldman? Uh, he produced our last two records. He's done three for us in total. Um, but we uh, met up with him at his studio up in Calabasas, and we've just uh, this past whole past week we've been writing our asses off, um, which we really uh, we didn't have we weren't planning to, but we uh, we had this uh, uh, Virago's cruise that was supposed to happen last month, but it got pushed to 2023. So we figured we may as well capitalize on the free time and start working on a new record, even though we're not due for one just yet, but might, you know, may as well strike while the iron's hot. Oh, yeah. um, so we've been doing that. Uh, we do, we're going to be releasing a new single here soon uh, called it's the title track off the record called baptize. Um, and we'll be hitting the road uh, mid May with uh, nothing more asking Alexandria and Ava under fire. Yeah, um, we uh, interviewed Amanda Lyberg, lead singer. Nice, nice, nice. Her nice. family lineage of addiction. Yeah, cool, nice. Um, yeah, so that'll keep us busy up until mid June, and uh, summer we don't have much planned. Uh, I think if anything, we'll probably be writing again, and then uh, hopefully uh, fall, if if everything goes right, uh, we'll be uh, possibly going over to Europe. Right on. Um, for the first time since uh, 2019, I think 2018. So, yeah, we're a lot, we're long overdue for a, a trip overseas. So, uh, yeah, we we are not bored. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, hopefully, if you're up in our area, we'll be able to come see you play. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Travis, uh, man, we appreciate this so much. We like to uh, jump into some random questions before we leave you kind of with the final words of encouragement, so to speak. Uh, Mikey, you want to go first? Sure. Travis, if you could have dinner with anybody in the entire world, living or dead, who would it be? Tom Waits. Really? Tom Waits. Uh, I've always just been a fan of his weirdness. Like a lot of people, there's not, or there's, there, there isn't a lot of people that can pull that off and he can, and he's been doing it for decades. And mm -hmm. I would just love to, I wouldn't even have to have dinner with him. I'd just love to be a fly on the wall sure. at his dinner table, just to see what kind of crazy ass stuff would be said. <laughs> uh, top three favorite guitarists. Ooh, that's tough. Uh, Jerry Cantrell from Allison Chains. Um, Oh man, Andreas Kisser, Sepultura, and whew. I'm just gonna say Stevie Ray Vaughan. Hey, yeah, I'm I mean those are you. those are guitar players that uh, if they played just two notes, you'd know who they were. Yeah, you wouldn't have sure. to actually see them. You know, just, that's how like stated and nuanced and. Uh, signature they're playing is for me anyway. Yeah. Right. Was there an influence from them on your playing? Of course, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I mean, that amazing right hand and I mean, well, both hands, but right. You know. uh, I wish I could play like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, for me, the like feel is a huge thing for guitar players. And 
uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan just oozed feeling. You know, like I said, he could bend one note and say so much just with that one note, um, as opposed to like you know the super shreddy technical stuff, which I love too. I mean, we're guitar players, like we we love the masturbatory guitar playing. But there's <laughs> something about just making a guitar sing that you know is it's so like soothing and even if you just look at him the way he plays like half the time he's making a face that looks like he just got kicked in the nuts but he's you know but he's just playing the shit out of his guitar and there's something to be said about that absolutely top three favorite movies oh man um okay i'm a huge star wars nerd yes um and i have been my whole life so and even then i'd have to pick one out of that whole series so i'm gonna go with the empire strikes back uh the godfather nice now we're speaking the language (laughs) and there was a movie that came out in 1999 called ravenous Mm. um it's basically it's kind of like a horror comedy movie Mm-hmm. Uh, it's with Robert Carlyle and Guy Pierce. It was a flop at the box office, but it has kind of more over the years. It's developed a uh, kind of a cult following, mm-hmm. and I've always, I've just always loved that movie. Nice, right on, Travis. It's okay. I'm a Star Wars geek. I'm a grown man, and luckily my girlfriend's all about it. I got, uh, <laughs> I got two bookshelves full of Star Wars Legos. It's, it's my thing. I applaud you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a buddy of mine just got me the. Uh, uh, I think it's like the black series, like Boba Fett helmet and like the little uh, visor thing pops down. Oh, I saw that on your on Instagram. It. Yeah. I was like, I was so stoked and like just all giddy when I brought it home. And of course, <laughs> of course I had it. Like, it was, I was wearing it like all day. <laughs> right. I have no I would, idea what you guys are talking dude, about. I would do the same thing, <laughs> yeah, you know, but yeah, no, I got like all the, the heads, like the helmets of the Boba Fett and the Darth Vader and you know, space. Anyways, people don't give a shit about that. They want to know more about you. Um, if they were to make a movie about your life or let's say the band to Trey, you pretty cool story in there so much. We didn't get a touch on cause we only got an hour, but uh, who do you, who would you like to play you in the movie? Oh man, that's tough too. Well, I mean the, the go-to answer for every dude is Brad Pitt. <laughs> um. He is a fantastic actor, obviously, but I would go with probably Michael Shannon. Oh, uh, I've, I've just been a huge, like, I think I forgot what the movie was where I first saw him, but uh, I think it might've been the Runaways movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, ever since I saw that, I've like, I've, I will watch anything that he's in. You know, so, I could see playing you if they cut their hair. Mark Ruffalo, if he cut his hair. I could see that. I'll I was take thinking, that. I was yeah. thinking Oscar Isaacs. Give you a Star I'll, Wars connection. I'll take that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey, you got one more. Um, yes. Let's do one more. If you can pick any superpower, what would it be? Man, flight would be cool, obviously, or like teleportation, or mind reading, or like super strength, but like. If, if I could, I would have the power to just point at somebody 
and give them explosive diarrhea right <laughs> right there on the spot. It's so funny you said that because Jason had a similar one and I thought you were going towards Jason's route and then took a very hard left turn. Jason wanted to be able to point at people and heal them. You took a pretty hard left turn with the diarrhea, but I like that. It's See, like, yeah, I mean, it's like, because it's like, you're you know, very rude. Enjoy your diarrhea. Exactly. Like you're, somebody pisses you off or is doing something stupid or terrible. You, you know, like you have diarrhea right now. You're not, you're not like hurting them. Sure. No, you, of course. You're really ruining their day. Yeah. Right. You know? Shit their pants in front of everybody. Exactly. So yeah. I like would, it. I think that would come in handy, especially, you know, like. If somebody I thought we were going down a sweet path, like a nice gentle <laughs> path, and then just bam, lift her. We got we got to dirty it up a little. Just bit. Just shit man. their pants. <laughs> well, you're a shit person. Here you go. Oh, Travis, man, that's the best. If we had awards for for this podcast, best left turn. Travis and Miguel with the shit your pants super. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, how do I ask you now to leave us with words of encouragement after that one? Don't shit your pants, people. <laughs> Don't words yeah. of encouragement. Uh, or at least try uh, to avoid it. Carry baby wipes. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, you know people that are listening, you know, uh, struggling with maybe a substance abuse issue or a loved one or their own mental health or uh, that of a loved one, what what kind of words of encouragement might you lend? I would say. Um, the worst is sometimes uh, not that bad. It might not be as bad as you think. And brighter days, uh, I can pretty much assure you that brighter days will come. Mm. Uh, it might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next week. But it, things will get better. Mm. Um, you know, like I said before, you know, life, it has its peaks and valleys. It has its ebb and flow. It has its push and pull. And we all go through it to some extent and, um, you know, uh, get, do what you can to get through the, the tough times and do enjoy the good times when they come around because neither one is there forever. They will always kind of go back and forth and, trade places and some might stay longer than others and you know just kind of roll with the punches and uh enjoy it while you can because we're 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 not here for very long in the grand scheme of things absolutely yes sir hey travis thanks man this has been an honor and a pleasure oh awesome thank you so much for having me hey mikey you got anything else no i'm going home on that note keep knocking doors down people this podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knocking Doors Down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. 
Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.